You know, I try to read a few marriage books every year. Now, I do that because I want to have a better marriage. But i let you in on a little secret here. I actually read them for you, too. Because I'm convinced that better marriages make a huge difference in our witness and in our world. Well, lately I've been reading uh, a book called uh, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. Uh, Gottman has probably researched more into what makes marriage work than, than most other researchers and counselors. And he figured out, of course, by the title, seven things that are kind of common characteristics of, of good marriages. One of them that successful couples have in common is that they've learned how to, get this, turn toward each other rather than turning away from each other. You know those times when you really just want to snap back, give the cold shoulder, check out, clam up, whatever it is. It's during those moments that successful couples have managed to defy the norm. They've learned to turn toward each other trying to understand what's going on, uh, trying to give the benefit of the doubt, to share what's happening, what they're feeling. So married folks, there's a freebie for you this morning. You didn't come expecting that, I'm sure. If you really want to grow in your marriage, learn how to turn toward each other rather than, than turn away. But this is true of other relationships, isn't it? It's true of your friendships. Your friendships will deepen as you learn to turn toward each other, particularly in those times when maybe things are a bit rocky. Your relationship with your kids. Think about that one. They will grow as you learn to turn toward your kids, as opposed to turn away. And let's be honest, there's times where you want to turn away, don't you? This is even true of your dogs. Do you know that? Now, we've been blessed with a golden retriever. That dog, I think it's a breed thing, we'll all agree, has mastered the art of turning toward you. In fact, there are days where we wish he would just turn away. <laughs> Stop slobbering. Go the other direction. You know what I'm talking about? This morning, though, I want to talk about how this is true for us as a church. Because if we're going to deepen our relationships as followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to turn toward each other, especially in those times when things get tough. We know that as a church. And so a few years ago, we actually got together as a whole church and identified seven key practices for how we will do life together. It's called our behavioral covenant. And uh, most of you, I think, received it on a, uh, a nicely laminated, beautifully designed uh, bookmark this morning. It's called the behavioral covenant because that's what we did. We made a covenant about how we will live life together. Each commitment is designed to help us, get this, turn toward each other when it might be easier to turn away. So today we're going to take a quick break from Revelation, and we're going to really talk about some family life summarized by this behavioral covenant. Now, why would I do this today? There's two reasons. One is, of course, it's our inaugural Sunday with two services, and this is kind of new to us. Certainly new to us as a church, but new to many of us in terms of even how church works. And it can feel like we're being pulled apart in some ways, even though we're still part of the same mission, still part of the same church, still committed to traveling together. Distance can create 
drift if, if we aren't careful. We know that. We acknowledge that. And so here at the beginning of two services, we want to reaffirm our covenant to do life together, even if we aren't in the same room at the same time as often anymore. Does that make sense? Second reason, though, for taking some time to look at our behavioral covenant is because many of you are new to the Erickson Covenant Church. Maybe you've been coming for a little while. Maybe you've been connected a bit and you're figuring out relationships, but you're still getting oriented. And so I want to be really candid with you. Some of you, the whole church thing is new. You've never really been part of another church. And, and so even figuring out, maybe you're just in that early stage of discovering, like, who is this Jesus guy? And what does it mean that he died and rose again? What are these people all about? And so you've been exploring that here at the Erickson Covenant Church. And can I just say how happy I am that you're doing that? Like, that's awesome. And so here, here it is. Isn't it nice to know kind of like what really is going on in this community? Like what, what kind of what's under the hood, as it were? That's what this is. It's for you who are new to church and don't have a lot of church background to say, you know, now I kind of have a better picture of what this community is all about. Like what they value, what they care about, how they manage life together. Others of you aren't new to church, but you're new to this church. And whatever your previous experience was, great, amazing, stressful, difficult, whatever it was, you're now here at this church, and it's important for all of us to get on the same page, to know who we are and what we value and how we do conflict, because we do conflict, as you heard this morning, and how we care for one another, how we move forward together. And for, if I can say it this way, the rest of us who've been around for a while, who were part of actually shaping this original behavioral covenant, This is like a reaffirmation. It helps us refocus because we all know how drift happens, right? Life gets busy and we can easily forget what we are committed to and how we are committed to doing life together. So it's for all of us. Here's the point of this morning's message. How we walk together will determine how far we go. You hear that? How we walk together will determine how far we go. God will not accomplish his purposes through us if we're not willing to obey his practices among us. Let me say that again. God will not accomplish his purposes through us if we are not willing to obey his practices among us. If you've been around for any amount of time, uh, you've heard us talk about our purpose as a church, which I put on the screen. We're committed to helping people, let's say it together, Find and follow Jesus. That's our purpose. Make no bones about it. Everything we do is organized around that goal. But let me tell you this. The purpose is great, but all the purpose in the world doesn't mean a thing if you and I don't pursue it together. Let me tell you, and some of you know this from personal experience. Nothing can derail the purpose of a church more quickly than poor relationships. Nothing. We won't be able to help people find and follow Jesus if we aren't following Jesus ourselves. And that means how we relate to each other. If we aren't letting Jesus transform our relationships, if we aren't letting Jesus root out our prejudices, alter our perspectives, change our hearts, if we're not doing that, in other words, if we're not following Jesus ourselves, then inviting others to follow him is a sham. God has a dream for us. 
God has a dream for this valley. I believe that. And God has a dream for what he wants to do through us in this valley. But all of that will fall down flat if we fail to walk together as he has told us to. So on this day, while things are great, and and I know some of you cynical types, you're always looking, you're already thinking, oh no, something happened. If the pastor's talking about relationships, then something's going, that's not true. Things are awesome. Things are going great. And, and, and that's what I was going to say. It's on these kinds of days. And I wrote in my notes, when the sun is shining. It's shining somewhere. <laughs> but, you know, proverbially speaking, when the sun is shining, when things are good, when you can look around and kind of smile and say, wow, God is at work and I'm so pumped and this is so exciting. It's on these kinds of days that we make commitments to how it will be in the future, maybe when things are more difficult. We affirm our covenant together, settling today how we will walk tomorrow. Does that make sense? We, we ready ourselves when things are good for the days when maybe there is more of a struggle. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to walk through our behavioral covenant. We're going to walk through it, and at the end of our service today, we're going to stand and we're going to reaffirm our covenant together. So you can follow along your bookmarks. Here's how our full, the full behavioral covenant, we have chopped down the behavioral covenant a touch to fit on the bookmarks. And I know that for some of you, it's still small print already, but uh, there it is. Uh, it'll, it, it, it hopefully will be enough of a cue for you to read it. But this is how our behavioral covenant begins. And then you'll pick it up there on, on the bookmark. At the Erickson Covenant Church, we recognize that our story is about relationship with Christ with our world, and with each other. And here it is on the bookmark. The journey together is exciting and challenging, providing opportunities along the way. And Wendy is handing out bookmarks. If you don't have a bookmark, just put up your hand, and, uh, and she'll get you one. Thanks, Wendy. So in light of this, in light of the relationships, in light of the challenges, in light of the opportunities, we commit to... And here they are, seven commitments that form the core of how we do things around here. Got that? First, we commit to fully accept each other as Christ has accepted us. And I've asked uh, some of our leadership team members this morning service, uh, Jason is going to read the scriptures that accompany each one of these points. Um, Can you go to the next slide, Jack? Yeah, so uh, the scripture that's mentioned there will be read uh, in, in this morning service uh, by Jason, each one of them. So go ahead, Jason. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. When you dig around the roots of our church, you find one thing. The fact that Jesus loved us so much that he would die for you and he would die for me. That Jesus accepted us. And if you've forgotten just how amazing that is, take a look around at the wonder of Jesus' love. Look around you. Jesus accepted us. Can we say that together? Jesus accepted us. Us. You and me. And that's amazing stuff, isn't it? He's accepted us. 
right at the very foundation, if you get down to the tap, we find God's amazing grace. And it's His grace that transforms our life together. Knowing how accepted we are transforms how we accept one another. Does that mean we'll never disagree? No, it doesn't. Does that mean we're always going to like the decisions that other people make? Even the leadership, even people in our small group, even friends. Does that mean we're always going to like them? I don't think so. Does it mean that we blindly affirm everything that's going on in each other's lives? No, we don't. Accepting each other, accepting one another, doesn't mean we always approve of each other's decisions. But it does mean this. We are in this together. Jesus is the one who died to make us one. He's the one that added us to God's family. He accepted us. Therefore, we accept each other. You know, in the Evangelical Covenant churches, we hold to six affirmations. And they're outlined as a booklet at the, at the book uh, kiosk there. You can pick one up. It's a few dollars, I think, just to help offset the cost. But it outlines our six uh, core affirmations as an evangelical covenant church. And if you're new here and you want to pick that up, I, I would encourage that. But one of those affirmations is that we believe in the reality of freedom in Christ. We believe that, get this, different Christians actually think differently about various things. Did you know that? Yeah, they think and believe and even practice different things from each other. And we believe that there's freedom to do so in those things that are not central to the Christian faith and practice. The fact is, hear this plainly, we're not always going to see eye to eye on things. We're not. That might be theological. It often is practical. It often comes down to how we do certain things as a church. But, but hear this carefully. How we engage those differences will be as accepted people in Christ. There's lots of room for discussion. There's lots of room for differences. What's not up for debate is what Jesus has done for us. We accept one another as Christ has accepted us. That's the foundation, and now we get even more practical. Second, we commit to intentionally believe the best in each other. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Choosing to think well and believe the best is so important, especially when we get a little bit of distance from each other. We know how that can happen, right? Or when we have a particular disagreement. Now, some of us uh, who might consider ourselves a little more blessed with what we call realism, and others might call pessimism, but eh, you might need to work on this area of believing the best in others because we kind of school ourselves in a certain version and we're going to have to go back to school and learn that there might be an alternative story, that we just might easily jump to the worst conclusion possible. You know, they did that intentionally. I know it. She just wanted to shove me out from the start. They never wanted me on their team. Whatever it is, I feel like half the mediation I do, whether it's among friends or or spouses or among brothers and sisters in Christ, half of what I do is just trying to help people think a little bit better about the person that they're upset with. Because we have a tendency, I do, to easily assume ill 
where sometimes there is none. Or other times, you know, it's not that bad. And so choosing to believe the best. This is a commitment that we have. This, you know, choosing to practice this is something that happens in our hearts and in our minds, especially in those times where we've been hurt or ignored or we've felt slighted. We have to be willing to say, even internally, to ourselves, you know what? I'm not going to think poorly of them. I'm going to choose to see them in the best possible light. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to turn away. Believing the best in each other is really rooted in our acceptance of each other, which is, of course, rooted in Christ's acceptance of us. As a church, we intentionally believe the best in each other. When we intentionally believe the best in each other, we'll be more willing to listen to each other. And this brings us to our third commitment. We commit to listen wholeheartedly and patiently. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You know, listening well is no small thing. In fact, in all of our relationships, listening well is probably the most significant way that we turn toward each other. Cannot overstate how much learning to listen well will improve your relationships and how critical it is for our life together as a church. So much relational breakdown happens when people refuse to listen to each other. You know that's true. And as a church, as Christians, we listen to each other wholeheartedly, patiently. Most of us aren't very good at this, right? We're either too busy, we're uh, too committed to our own opinion, we, uh, you know, we, we struggle because we are eager to make our defense. So we're on the defensive already and we aren't sure how we're going to make our way forward. We need to practice listening. Really listening to the heart of another person. Getting curious about who they are and their viewpoint and how they even came to think that or, or their stories or maybe their cultural perspective or, or some of their, their personal reasons for believing or doing what they do. And this takes energy. It takes time. And we do it because we love each other. So much misunderstanding comes from, first, not believing the best about the person, And then secondly, never actually listening for anything that might change our perspective. And as a church, we just want to say this. We are not the kind of people who refuse to listen. We're not the kind of people who choose to turn away. We're not that kind of a church. We are committed to listening wholeheartedly and patiently. But we don't just leave it there. We don't only listen. After fully listening, we also, get this, fully share. You know, one of Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people is that we seek first to understand and then to be understood. A habit that's been transformative for so many people. After seeking understanding, that's the listening well part, it's important that we're also understood. But how we do that, how we make ourselves understood is so, so important. So the next two commitments in our behavioral covenant have to do with how we make ourselves understood. The first one is that we communicate with clarity, compassion, and truth. 
Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Accepting one another, believing the best in each other, and really listening to each other will build our relationships. We know that. It'll build all of your relationships. But we're committed to following Jesus together. In order to do that, we need to be open to hearing from each other. We need to be open to being challenged and questioned and corrected and disciplined and encouraged and invited into all that God has for us. We need to be open to hearing that. But, and this is painful for some of us, we also need to be open to speaking it. This fourth commitment is our commitment to be clear in what we're saying and kind in how we say it. I'm going to say that again so we get it. It's a commitment to be clear in what we're saying and kind in how we say it. We're going to speak the truth. We're not going to hide behind fuzzy words, but we're not going to run people over with the facts either. We're not going to pamper, but we're not going to be butchers. You get the feeling here? Rather, as a church, we're going to be people who value each other so much that we'll choose our words prayerfully and carefully prayerfully and carefully, so that even in how we communicate with each other, we're demonstrating our love for each other, our commitment to each other, our acceptance of one another. Sometimes how we communicate the truth, as as, as true as that might be, the, the thing that we're saying, but how we say the truth will determine whether or not people can even hear it or receive it. You know, I was just reading a story this week that illustrated that. Back in the 1800s, there was a brilliant surgeon named Semmelweis, and he became convinced that the reason why doctors, and surgeons in particular, were losing so many people after surgery was because doctors didn't wash their hands. In fact, they literally would go from one surgery patient, blood up to their elbows, to the next one. And they were losing patients. Can you imagine that? They were losing patients. Well, he began to realize that there's something going on here, and he began to discover the science behind it, and began to be committed to the idea that, oh my goodness, doctors should wash their hands. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Here's the problem. Instead of explaining his science to anyone... Instead of actually trying to convince people, he would just denounce anyone who would disagree with him and berate them. He never attempted to communicate clearly at all. And then on top of it, he was an arrogant jerk. No tact. And he alienated his colleagues, calling his fellow doctors murderers. I, I quote, Herr Professor, you are a mass murderer, you know. He didn't win any friends. He had the truth. None of us would argue that what he was saying was true. But the truth didn't bring about any change when it could have saved so many lives because he refused to communicate with clarity and compassion. Communicating truth with clarity and compassion is critical, especially in those times when we have a disagreement, when we aren't seeing eye to eye, when we struggle, when we've been hurt, or we aren't feeling understood. As a church, we're saying, we're going to live by God's word. And as, as the scripture, uh, Ephesians, says, we are going to be the kind of people who speak the truth in love. And by doing so, in that act of speaking the truth in love, we grow in every way 
looking more and more like Jesus himself, our leader. The second way we commit to communicate with each other is that we use words that honor each other and build each other up. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know, Tanil and I were parented very well. We're thankful for that. We were raised to know the power of words, both for good and for ill. I'll, I'll, be, I'll always be thankful for how my mom and my dad honored me with their words. They never spoke ill of me. They never shouted at me. They never used names or derogatory language. Never once. Do you know how amazing that is? And some, some of you know how amazing that is because you unfortunately were raised in a home that was filled with language that was dishonoring. I'm so thankful for that. Well, as you can imagine, as people who were raised in homes where uh, language was honored, we also valued honoring language in, in our family. When our boys were little, they were extra sensitive to the deeply, horribly profane words such as shut up and stupid. This was X-rated language in our house, you understand. And, and so Micah, when he was just a little guy, he had developed, a, a, and I had permission from him to share this story, he, he had developed a fascination with movie ratings, like why movies are rated uh, the ways they are. It was, it was quite a fascination for him. One day he came up to me and announced that he had finally figured out why the animated feature Ice Age was rated PG. It's for language, Dad. They use the words shut up and stupid in that movie. That's why it got the rating that it did. Words have power, right? And as a church, we believe in the power of God's word. But we also believe in the power of our words. And so we're committed in the way that we speak to each other and the way we speak about each other. We're committed to use words that honor and build. We're never going to gossip. This is not something we do. We're never going to do that, you know, that subversive suggestion to someone. You didn't quite say anything negative, but you said enough to make that person kind of look at those guys over there with a little bit of a suspicious, you know what I'm talking about? We don't do that kind of thing. It doesn't honor people. That doesn't build them up. We're, we're the kind of church that says, you know what? We're not going to utter a word that would hurt or confuse or disempower anyone else. Instead, as a church, we are going to speak life into each other. We're going to affirm each other's gifts. We're going to lift each other up, whether we're around or not. Because here's the truth. You know, it's terrible to talk behind someone's back about them negatively. It's not so bad if all you're doing is bragging on them. Right? So we can be the kind of church that's always honoring people, always building them up. And guess what? You don't need to, you don't even need to worry whether they're around or not. If you're always using language to honor and build one another up, I hope you get caught bragging on someone. Let's be the kind of church that always builds, always honors. That's what we're committed to. But let me ask you this. This all sounds awesome, doesn't it? But what happens when we mess up? You know, what happens when I do speak in a dishonoring way? What happens when I fail to listen with my whole heart? Or maybe I fudge the truth because I'm scared. What happens then? We forgive each other. And that's our sixth commitment as a church. As the Erickson Covenant Church, we commit to forgive each other and ourselves 
Understanding and accepting our capacity to make mistakes. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. If acceptance is at the root of our relationship, then forgiveness is like the sap of our fellowship. We depend on forgiveness because all of us are in a process. This dynamic, active, spirit-led process of becoming more and more like Jesus. But we are not there yet. And that means that forgiveness is just the fact of how we live this life together. Because you need to know something. Especially if you're new to this church. You need to know something super important that you hear this. I am going to fail you. But guess what? You're going to fail me too. I'm going to sin against you, and I might not even know I did it. And you're going to sin against me, and you might not know you did it either. We're going to fail each other. We're going to sin against each other. And I don't say that to take any of it lightly. But the fact is, we're not sinless. We're not selfish. In fact, we're not selfless. And in fact, sometimes, we're not even nice. No amen for that? We're not even nice, right? So we commit to forgiving each other. We decide, get this, in advance. We make a decision in advance not to hold sin against each other. Why? Well, first of all, because we've been accepted in Christ. We've been forgiven already. But it's because we know that we're all still in process. That we understand and we accept our capacity to make mistakes. Do you know what this means on the ground, though? It means, and this might come as a surprise to you, it means that as a church, we're rigorous about confession and conflict. You know, making a commitment to forgiveness is not about avoiding conflict. It's not about keeping on the surface and dancing around the issues. Being committed to forgiveness actually empowers us as a community to deal with conflict, to deal with concerns and difficulties, to to bring it out in the open, to acknowledge that I've been hurt. And we do that as a church. We deal with this stuff because we know how devastating unforgiveness is to our relationships and to the gospel, to the good news about Jesus. We know it's devastating. Because if we can't forgive each other, then actually it means we aren't forgiven by God. He's very clear about that one. But it also means that we aren't able to reach out and show others the forgiveness of Christ, the forgiveness that's available in Him. And this means that we're, we're rigorous about dealing with our sin and forgiving one another. We're rigorous about it not only because unforgiveness will poison the well of our relationships, but also because we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus and we don't want anything to get in the way of that which unforgiveness would. Now, maybe you're from a family where no one ever acknowledged what they had done wrong. I know some of you are. And there's deep patterns around that in your life. Fear of dealing with conflict, fear of confession, fear of even talking about forgiveness because you never had it modeled. And and, and that, that might be quite a journey for you, but I want you to hear it this morning. You're not in that family anymore. You're not. 
Some of you have been part of churches where there was a dynamic where people just sort of swept things under the rug, talked behind backs, failed to practice forgiveness. And I just want you to hear me say it super clear. You are not in that church anymore. You're in a church that is committed to practicing forgiveness. It doesn't mean we'll always do it right. So we'll have to forgive ourselves and each other for the ways that we fail to. You know what I'm saying. Could go on in a bit of a loop there. But we're committed to forgiving each other. We're committed to practicing forgiveness. Understanding and accepting our capacity to make mistakes. That's just who we are. And Jesus is at work in us. The last commitment we make covers all of them. Kind of like a big shady tree. As the Erickson Covenant Church, we commit to be humble in all we say and do. Since God shows you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Thanks for all the reading you've done, Jason. Humility is the clothes that we wear. We know that we aren't hot stuff. You know what I'm saying? We know that we mess up. We know when we're falling down, or at least we hopefully will help each other know when we're falling down. We know that we've been given grace by God, and everything we have comes from Him. We, we know that it's God who's at work in us. It's God who's doing His thing in our lives, in our families, in our church, and we are simply His servants. And so we want Jesus' attitude to be our attitude and to have his attitude reflected in everything we do and how we relate to each other, how we serve one another, how we give and receive, or how we accept one another, how we believe the best about each other, how we listen to each other wholeheartedly and patiently, how we communicate, use our words, forgive each other and ourselves. We want, in short, our life together to look and feel and smell just like Jesus. And this commitment to humility keeps us moving forward together, not jockeying for position, not vying for attention, but as a community, fixing our full attention on Jesus, the one we're following, the one who has committed us to this mission of helping others find and follow him. And at the end of the day, saying, you know what, we're simply here to serve, humbly, in any way that we can, in any way that God calls us, for his glory and for the good this world. So there it is. That's our behavioral covenant. Or as I like to say, how we do things around here. We want to be the kind of church that follows Jesus together and this is how we do it. Because how we walk together will determine how far we go. And we want to go as far as Jesus calls us to go. We don't want anything to hold us back. And that's why we commit to live this life together as God has called us to do it. So my question is, will you commit to this? We're going to reaffirm this commitment. But this is no small thing. Because here's what we're saying. 
Committing to this covenant means not only are you saying, I'm going to practice these things. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I understand that. I have a lot to learn, a lot to get over, a lot of re-patterns and you know, repentance. I get all that. But I'm going to follow this. That's the commitment we're making. But it also means that you're asking each other to help you practice them. In other words, to be held accountable for them. We're saying to each other, let's be God's church in God's way. But I need your help to do that. So not only are you committed, but you're accountable. Is that frightening to anyone? Yeah, a bit frightening to me too. That's what we're saying. We do that in the spirit of grace. We do that in forgiveness. We do that accepting one another as Christ accepted us. This is not about judgment. This is not about, you know, some self-righteous. That's not what's going on. But what we're saying is, let's be the church God has called us to be, and let's do it together. Help me do that. If you're willing to commit to this and be held accountable to it, I'm asking you to please stand, and we're going to read this covenant together. We're not going to read the scripture references or the scripture verses or anything like that. We're simply going to read the seven practices together. And then, and, and, and the, you can go to the next slide, Jack, the prelude. Can everyone see that? A little small, perhaps. I'm going to read it out together and hopefully we can read it together. Uh, not all of this, about half of this is on your bookmark. And then the next slide will be what is printed on your bookmark. Let's read it together. And then following this affirmation, we're going to keep standing. We're going to pray a prayer of rededication to this covenant. You ready for that? Read it together. Let's do that. At the Erickson Covenant Church, we recognize that our story is about relationship with Christ our world, and each other. The journey together is exciting and challenging, providing opportunities along the way. In light of this, we commit to fully accept each other as Christ has accepted us. Intentionally believe the best in each other. Listen wholeheartedly and patiently. Communicate with clarity, compassion, and truth. Use words that honor each other and build each other up. Forgive each other and ourselves, understanding and accepting our capacity to make mistakes. Be humble in all we say and do. Let's pray together. Jesus, we stand as people who've been accepted by you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us as a community, that we would be able to practice life together the way you've called us to do it. That all these things we've just committed to would become increasingly true in our lives and the way that we relate and think and pray and act. For your glory, Lord, so that people can see in our life together as you are transforming us, as we are following you, so that the people of this valley, friends and family and co-workers, neighbors, people we meet at school or see during the day, on the streets of Creston, that each one would somehow begin to see that you are alive here in our life together. That the way we are loving each other would become a compelling witness to our community so that we can help people find and follow you. And so, Lord Jesus, we stand today committing to this covenant that in your grace and in your power and by your Spirit's work, we would, as a community and as individuals, 
grow up into you in every way, looking more and more like you, Jesus, who rescued us, empowered us, and has sent us into your mission. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.